the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. Today on Cornerstone Connection with Pastor Gary Hamrick. Real love is calling, listen, truth opens up your eyes. We have to understand this in relation to our own sin. God is just and he has to punish our sinfulness. In his love, that's verse 4, but, and I know this sounds funny, but I'm going to say it anyway, that's a big but, because he transitions the thought there, but because of his great love for us, God, who is rich in mercy, made us alive with Christ even when we were dead in transgressions. It, has been, it is by grace that you've been saved. This is Cornerstone Connection, the radio ministry of Pastor Gary Hamrick of Cornerstone Chapel in Leesburg, Virginia. Pastor Gary is teaching through Ephesians. None of us like to acknowledge the judgment we deserve. You likely tend to downplay the sins that permeate your life. But when you witness sin in another's life, it's easy to pass judgment and hope that justice is administered against them. This desire for justice reflects the just nature of our Creator. But as Pastor Gary reminds us in today's message, Christ bore our sin and its consequences on the cross. Freeing anyone who chooses His salvation from the eternal oppression and separation they deserve. At the close of Pastor Gary's message today, I'll be sharing with you how you can get a copy of today's broadcast of Cornerstone Connection. Subscribe to the podcast or get in touch with us. But for now, let's join Pastor Gary in the book of Ephesians chapter 1 with today's edition of Cornerstone Connection. They and we are so precious to God that he considers us and them his own inheritance. That's how precious we are to him. That the saints are his inheritance. And then this last one is the greatness of his power. Paul uses the word the comparably, that you, the power is like, uh, he says, and his incomparably, rather, incomparably great power for us who believe and, and that word power in the Greek is dunamis. We get our English word dynamite from that word. And he goes on kind of in the last part of this prayer to kind of uh, highlight the whole idea of power because he explains a little bit more because that power is like the working of his mighty strength, which he exerted in Christ when he raised him from the dead and seated him at the right hand in the heavenly realms far above all rule and authority, power and dominion, and every title that can be given, not only in the present age, but also in the one to come. And God placed all things under his feet and appointed him to be head over everything for the church, which is his body, the fullness of him who fills everything in every way. So this whole concept of power, the same power that God exercised in raising Jesus from the dead is 
in you. Do you get this? The same power that raised Jesus from the dead is in you. This is why Paul says, well, I pray that you get this. I mean, this is a prayer that is true for us today as well. Paul's like, I pray that you get this, that the very power that raised Jesus from the dead is within you. That's why it's incomparably great, and it is his power to help you in every way that he loves to do exceedingly abundantly beyond what we can hope or imagine. He's going to talk about this power more in Ephesians chapter 3. When, when he talks about what I just quoted, that to, to know his power, that, that it does immeasurably more than we could ever hope or imagine. This is that power that is at work. And he wants us to know this. The hope of his calling, the riches of his glorious inheritance, and his incomparably great power for us who believe. So he writes in, in verse 1 of chapter 2, As for you... You were dead in your transgressions and sins in which, in which you used to live when you followed the ways of this world and of the ruler of the kingdom of the air. Who's that? Satan. The spirit who is now at work in those who are disobedient. All of us also lived among them at one time, gratifying the cravings of our sinful nature and following its desires and thoughts. Like the rest, we were by nature objects of wrath, but because of his great love for us, God, who was rich in mercy, made us alive with Christ, even when we were dead in our transgressions. It is by grace you have been saved. And God raised us up with Christ and seated us with him in the heavenly realms in Christ Jesus, in order that in the coming ages he might show the incomparably, the incomparable riches of his grace expressed in his kindness to us in Christ Jesus. For it is by grace you have been saved through faith, and this not from yourselves, it is the gift of God, not by works so that no one can boast. For we are God's workmanship created in Christ Jesus to do good works which God prepared in advance for us to do. Wow, there is a lot in this section. Let me break it down for you in these three ways. The first three verses, he talks about how we are alienated from God. Then verses 4 through 7, he talks about how we are made alive by God. And then verses 8, 9, and 10, he talks about how we are aligned with God. Alienated, alive, and aligned. Come on, I thought that was pretty creative. Yeah, alienated, alive is kind of a thing. Or, or you could say that in the first section, he talks about our, con- our condition, and next, next our provision, and then after that, our position. So take your rhyme, whichever one you want. Condition, provision, position. That's about as charismatic as I get, friends, okay? But anyway... It's kind of a rhyming thing. That's what I mean. I believe in the gifts of the Spirit. Don't ask me questions afterwards. <laughs> Alienated from God. First three verses. As for you, you were dead in your transgressions and sins. You were dead. Past tense. He adds, in which you used to live. Okay, so he's talking to the church at Ephesus in terms of, okay, before Christ, after Christ. Okay, all of us have a BC life, right? Before Christ, after Christ. And there's some things in our past we're not proud of that we did before we came to know Christ. We all have a story, and usually it's a very dark story. But he writes here in past tense to remind us that's, he says, that, that's, that's, what you, that's how you used to live. That's how you used to live. As for you, you were, you were dead in, in your transgressions and sins. Now, we, we need to stop there first and understand a little bit about what he's, what he's speaking of here. There is obviously physical death. And then there is what he's referring to here, spiritual death. Physical death in in James 2, verse 6, 
James just simply says that the body without the spirit is dead. There is physical death that people experience, and then, like Paul is referring to here, there is spiritual death. And spiritual death is when we are separated from God, and the reason we're separated from God and without life is because of transgressions and sins. So we all have the same disease we're dying of, and it's called a sin disease. That sin disease has resulted in our spiritual death. Before we know Christ, we are spiritually dead. Now, the argument becomes, back to some of this Calvinism and Arminianism debate, if, in fact, we are dead, as he says here, then perhaps we have no ability to even make a decision for Christ because dead people can't make decisions. You're dead, okay? However, just to give you the other side of the coin, back in chapter 1, verse 13, Paul says, and you were also included in Christ when you heard the word of truth. Well, dead people don't hear either. So there has to be some capacity to hear even though you were spiritually dead. Now, Wesley referred to as provenient grace. In other words, the work of God in his grace in the heart of an individual to bring you to the place where you even would acknowledge Christ because you are dead, so you have to be quickened in a way to even respond. And 1 Corinthians 12 Verse 3 says, Paul says, no one can say Jesus is Lord except by the Holy Spirit. So there is this aid and assistance by God in our coming to a place where even in our spiritual deadness, we hear, and then the rest of verse 13 of chapter 1 is, and we believe. So, okay, I get it that dead people can't make decisions, but at the same time, Paul says back in chapter 113 that you heard the gospel and dead people can't hear either. So, There's, again, some mystery involved here. But what we can certainly be agreed on that is very clear is that the cause of our death is sin and transgression. Now, sin and transgression are two different words. But a lot of times in the Bible, you know, sin, transgression, and iniquity can fall under the the overall uh, heading of sin in general. But they are different words. Sin in the Bible basically means missing the mark. It's falling short of a standard. And so God is a perfect standard. We don't reach it. None of us does because of our sin. And so we fall short of that perfect standard. It's kind of like taking a free throw shot from the foul line and always missing the bucket. I mean, you don't even hit the rim. Okay? You miss the mark entirely. That's missing the mark. Transgression is a different word in Scripture, and it means willful rebellion. So this is when... You know what the standard is. Sin is missing that standard because you don't measure up to it. But rebellion is knowing what the standard is and willfully deciding not to do it. So it's like this. You know how at at certain businesses and places, and we even have some for fire code reasons, where where curbs are painted with yellow paint, and that means do not park here, okay? If you decide you're going to park there anyway, that's transgression. (laughs) That's willful rebellion. And the fact of the matter is, when you read your Bibles, what you come to understand, however unpopular this might be, is that God has painted some yellow lines in life. And he has determined that some things are permissible and some things are forbidden. And so when God says, you shall not commit adultery, that's a yellow line that he's painted. And when somebody decides, I'm going to commit adultery anyway, that's transgression. Okay, So missing the mark is sin. You don't even measure up. You don't even achieve the perfect standard. Transgression is you're willfully rebelling against it. So it's two different words, but it still speaks about the human condition. And the human condition is we're all this way. We're all sinners. 
We're born into sin. We've received the sin nature from, from our ancestors, starting with Adam. And thus, mankind is in rebellion to God. And Paul says, you were dead. You were spiritually dead because of transgressions and sins in which you used to live. When, and he's going to say there's two things that influence our sinful lives. Now, again, we're born into sin, but then there are things that influence us to continue in a sinful lifestyle. And the first thing that he says here is, the rest of verse 2, when you followed the ways of this world. When you followed the ways of this world. That has a strong and powerful influence in our lives. Peer pressure is not something reserved for kids in high school and middle school. Adults live under constant peer pressure too. It's the world wanting to squeeze you into its mold, into its philosophy, into its cultural perspective. The world is constantly trying to bombarding our senses with things that are ungodly and often sensual and often immoral and often evil. And so the world is working in concert with the next thing that he says, which is the devil, to cause us to live a life of sin. And to be happy and content, as deceived as that is, of living a life of sin and rebellion against God. Because not only have we followed in the past the ways of this world, and of, he adds there in verse 2, and of the ruler of the kingdom of the air, which is Satan, the spirit who is now at work in those who are disobedient. Now that doesn't mean that every person who is rebellious against God is possessed by Satan and that Satan is, you know, manipulating you. It just simply means under the influence. This world is under the influence of the evil one. And the enemy Satan is working overtime to try to pull you in his direction. Because he is constantly opposed to the work of God and, and, and to the gospel and to people coming to the saving knowledge of Jesus Christ as their personal Lord and Savior. Satan is constantly working overtime, and he is the ruler of the kingdom of the air. There is this unseen realm, friends. You know, I, I, I don't want this to sound all mysterious, but, but this is the reality of what the Bible teaches. There's this unseen realm in our world where, where there are spiritual forces, some spiritual forces of good, angelic beings, some spiritual forces of evil, Satan and demons. And those, Satan and his demons were previously angels who rebelled against God and God expelled them from heaven and thus they still operate in the spirit realm where you cannot see them and and they're just bent on doing one thing. They know ultimately their ultimate destination and they want to take as many people there with them. That's the bottom line. They want to destroy your life, your family. They don't want you to come to the knowledge of the truth. Satan is even working overtime to pluck the truth from the air as it is spoken out of God's word to your ear, if he can, so that people won't even make a decision for Christ. So he's at work. Paul says, when you were living in transgressions and sin, you followed the ways of this world and the work of Satan, the influence of our world and of Satan in helping us to perpetuate this deceived life of sin and rebellion against God. So he, he frames all of that, verse 3, all of us lived among them at one time, gratifying the cravings of our sinful nature, following his desires and thoughts. Like the rest, we were by nature objects of wrath. What does that mean? We were by nature objects of wrath. He's talking about God's wrath. Sin must be punished. A just and holy God cannot allow sin and rebellion to go unpunished. 
Yes, God is love. But God is also just. And it would be unloving and unjust for God to allow what is wrong to go unpunished. Now, if you were to go into a court of law and someone who, were, who was to be found guilty was then just set free by some judge, you'd be outraged because you want justice. You want the wrath of the court for someone who is guilty of a crime. So if the judge decided, I'm not going to impose any punishment whatsoever on, for example, this murderer, that would be an unjust judge. So we have to understand this in relation to our own sin. God is just and he has to punish our sinfulness. In his love, that's verse 4, but, and I know this sounds funny, but I'm going to say it anyway, that's a big but, because he transitions the thought there. But because of his great love for us, God, who is rich in mercy, made us alive with Christ even when we were dead in transgressions. It, has been, it is by grace that you've been saved. Can I hear an amen? amen? So here's what happens. God has to punish sin. We are the objects of God's wrath because of our sinfulness. God determines, even we read this last week, that Jesus was slain before the foundation of the world. God puts this plan of redemption in motion even before time. Jesus dies on a cross. And in that one divine moment, the wrath of God and the love of God met. And his wrath was satisfied because of what Christ did for us. This is Isaiah 53. The punishment intended for us was placed on Jesus and by his stripes, by his crucifixion, we are healed. We've been made whole. That's, that's the good news, right? That's the gospel. That's the good news. So God has to exercise his wrath because he's a just judge, but he determined to intercept his own wrath by the plan of the cross and that his wrath then was placed on Jesus, though he was completely innocent. Our sins, our punishment placed on Jesus. Then the wrath of God was satisfied. This is what Paul's writing about. He's like, okay, we're all dead in our transgressions and sins, but here's the good news. God made us alive because of what Christ has done for us. It is by grace you have been saved. Now, grace, the word grace is used 11 times through the book of Ephesians. It's proportionally more, proportionally more in the book of Ephesians than any other book of the New Testament. His emphasis here is grace. Now, Many of you have heard the acronym before, G-R-A-C-E, God's riches at Christ's expense. So this is unearned, undeserved favor from God. None of us earned it, none of us deserve it, but God, because of his love, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to bestow grace, I'm going to lavish upon you my grace. So the most gracious thing he did was offer his son Jesus to die for our sins so that we might be forgiven through him. Verse 6, and God raised us up with Christ and seated us with him in the heavenly realms in Christ Jesus. So he's talking about our position now with the Lord, is that we are forgiven, we are redeemed when you put your faith and trust in Christ, and you are positionally then, in terms of your righteousness, you're quickened, you're made alive. That dead spirit has now been regenerated, has now been breathed into, if you will, by the Spirit of God. We've been made alive, and now positionally, we're, we're placed in the heavens. In order that... 
Verse 7, in the coming ages, he might show the incomparable riches of his grace expressed in his kindness to us in Christ Jesus. In other words, the fullness of our salvation has not yet been known. So he says, in the coming ages, we will realize the fullness of our salvation. He says in verse 8, for it is by grace, there's the word again, that you have been saved through what? Faith. Faith. Say that again. Through what? Faith. It's not works. Faith, circle that in your Bibles. He says, and this, not from yourselves, it is the gift of God. In other words, even the faith to believe is a gift from God. Even the faith to believe in God is from God. But you're saved because of his grace through the exercise of your faith that Jesus died on the cross. You believe by faith that he died on the cross. He's the son of God. Romans 10 talks about that if you believe in your heart that God raised Jesus from the dead and confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord, you shall be saved. So you have to exercise faith in all of that, right? But if you exercise that faith, which is a gift from God, not by works, so that no one can boast, there will be no boasters in heaven. No one will be able to stand before God in heaven and say, well, Lord, I knew you were waiting for me. Because I know you saw the wonderful things I did and how hard I worked. I, I bought Girl Scout cookies. I walked little old ladies across the street. I really tried to be decent to my neighbor. You know, I was a really good person. I gave extra at the office. I stayed late. You know, I did. None of those things matter. It's not by works. I mean, they matter, but they don't matter in the eternal scheme of things as far as salvation goes. None of us can work our way to heaven, in other words. If you were under the notion, and it's a misguided one, that you can do enough good things to get on God's good side so that maybe he'll let you into heaven. That's not what the Bible teaches. The Bible gives us a very sobering truth. We're all sinners. We have a sin problem. We're dying of the same disease. And it's only by grace that we've been saved because of what Jesus did for us on the cross. And if you will exercise your faith and trust him for that, you shall be saved. And it has nothing to do with working your way to heaven. It has nothing to do with working your way to heaven. That's freeing, isn't it? That's liberating. Not of works that no one can boast, for we are God's workmanship. The Greek word there is poema. I love that word because it literally means work of art. You are God's work of art. This is a new work that he's doing. It's not a refurbished thing. I know for all the married men in the house, you know how you're made to watch HDTV from time to time? Okay, and they refurbish all these things. You know, look, this is not a refurbishing This is dead to life. This is a whole new thing that God is doing in you. You are God's workmanship. You're his work of art, poema, created in Christ Jesus to do good works. Wait a minute, Pastor G. I thought we just read a moment ago, it's not by works. Now why is he saying that we are created in Christ Jesus to do good works? Because works do not get you saved, but show that you are. You understand that difference? Works do not get you saved. But the demonstration of your good works is evidence that you are saved. Because when you live out your life for the glory of God, wanting to please Jesus in every way, you're going to be doing good things. But you're not doing that to to earn favor with God. You're doing that in response to his free gift of salvation in your life. See how that works. So when people say, I don't have to do all these things in the Bible anymore, you're going to want to do those good things because you want to honor God with your good life because you want to bring him glory with everything about your life. So that's what he means here. It's not a contradiction. We are God's workmanship created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which God prepared in advance for us to do. 
Amen and amen. The book of Ephesians is a more formal letter from the Apostle Paul, touching on a variety of subjects, but landing on some major points that all followers of Jesus need to embody. One such passage reminds you that there's a war going on beyond what you can see. Spiritual forces are battling for your allegiance, but you can protect yourself by immersing yourself in the Bible and spending time regularly with God and other believers you'll be prepared to face whatever Satan tries to throw at you. Today, you've taken a step in that direction by joining Pastor Gary in this study on Cornerstone Connection. If you'd like to continue studying the book of Ephesians by revisiting some of Pastor Gary's previous teachings, you can do so at cornerstoneconnection.cc or download our mobile app to take these messages on the go with you. We'd love to meet you too, so if you're in the area, come join us this Sunday at 8.30, 10, or 11.45 a.m. at Cornerstone Chapel in Leesburg, Virginia. We'll have a time of worship and Bible study, and we're always excited to meet new people. Be sure to tell us you listen to Cornerstone Connection. You'll find more information at cornerstoneconnection.cc. Pastor Gary has more to share from the book of Ephesians, so join us again on Cornerstone Connection. General Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal records to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.